y'all again for tuning in to our fourth episode of Laid Black. Uh, I'm just jumping in just to add a little forewarning that my recording was cut off while I was doing the live stream, and I hope you can forgive the inconvenience. Without further ado, let's get back to the episode. The right atrium connects to the right ventricle. You're telling me I'm overconfident because you expect me not to believe in the things I say. Like you expect that out of black women. So I find that like it's really irritating to me because they have such a linear expectation of what black women are supposed Mm -hmm. to be. And we're never that representation, regardless of our personality type. So even though we have such diverse personality types, like Courtney is clearly more introverted than I would be considered on a clinical rotation. I'm always considered too extroverted and she's always going to be considered too introverted. So it's like, it's very frustrating because other people can just breathe and they're doing a good job. And I'm constantly like, am I over talking my other med student? Am I being too, am I making too many jokes? Am I blah, 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 blah. Like I'm constantly calculating. That's the best way to explain it. I said it to my mom. I'm constantly recalibrating and calculating my place compared to other med students. And they're just vibing. Like, I'm sure they also have fears about matching up to a preceptor, but I'm thinking about matching up to a preceptor. I'm thinking about how the OR nurses see me. I'm thinking about how the residents see me. I'm thinking about like how I look like to my patients. They're not worried about that. They're just worried about getting that letter of recommendation. Meanwhile, we have to recalculate so many things. Imagine all of the anxiety and stress that is tacked on to us as black people. Um, in addition to trying to figure out and navigate how to be a physician, how to be a medical student. Um, I'm uh, going to, uh, sorry, Shari, would you, were you saying? You're good. Okay. Um, all of what my sister said, I, I'm, I can bet money that all of us have experienced that, whether that's we're being, you know, we're introverts or we're extroverts, but, um, it doesn't leave. It doesn't, it doesn't leave from preclinical to clinical to interview to match season. You're constantly thinking about this. And I just went through interview season. And, um, you know, one of the things we talked about, um, I believe Alana mentioned was hair. Now, I have been considered natural where I have not flat ironed my hair, uh, permed my hair for almost like 10 years now. And I've taken pride in nurturing my natural hair. And so when it came down to um, my ERAS picture, I remember tweeting like, I don't know if I should either get a straight wig, flat iron my hair or wear my hair natural. Because if I wear my hair natural, my hair is pretty big. um, Are they going to look at it as like, I'm not clean, I'm not neat? I just had, I just had an experience where I was telling, you know, my girls here, like, I remember um, I blow dried my hair and then put it up in a bun because I had just trimmed it. So it was really like, you know, when, when you flat iron curly hair, you know, it gets smaller. And the person I was working with walks in and goes, your hair looks really neat today. And it, it took a lot for me to um, just kind of say thank you as as if it was a compliment knowing that it was more of a microaggression kind of mm-hmm. comment and it was really hard for me to 
go ahead and make the decision to wear my hair natural in my ERAS picture because it was okay. I'm, I am gambling with my life right now. So there's a lot of people, um, a lot of students that don't really have to worry about, okay, if, if you don't match it, you know, it does suck, right? If you don't match it, it does suck. But for a lot of us, um, and even black women, we don't have the, the chance to say, okay, we'll, we'll apply next year. All our savings don't went into this season, you know, um, as an IMG, I applied to way more because of course I got the stigma of the Caribbean. I'm black and I'm a woman, come on. Like the odds are stacked against me. So I didn't, I had to really gamble with, okay, I can be my authentic self and pray to God, somebody, one of these PDs or these coordinators who are looking at my pictures sees me and doesn't see, oh, look at the hair and mm, how is she going to look on uh, the floor? Is she going to look too, uh, you know, you know, that's big. Is it a distraction? You know, I get a lot, I got a lot of those comments. Oh my God, your hair, but you don't think it's a distraction? To whom, sis? Because this is my hair. This is this is me. This is who I am. And why does it matter how my hair looks when I'm doing a damn good job on my rotation? I'm working my butt off and you're worried about my hair. You're worried about how my scrubs fit. You're worried about my shirt. You're wor- what is it? Like, why aren't you paying attention to teaching me? Because everybody knows med students, we pay to be there. They don't pay us to be there. We pay to be there. So transitioning from preclinical to clinical to now interview season, every interview I got, and thank you God for the interviews that I got, I wore my hair exactly like this because either you were going to look at me and say, this is a great person all around, or you were gonna look at me and say, I was a distraction. So either way it went, I, I presented myself in my authenticity and it, it, whoever gets me, hey, thank you. Whoever doesn't, thank you. And, you know, you deal with other things being a black woman that you're worried about. Um, one, of, one of the things that my dad actually points out when I'm reading something, I kind of frown and it's not like a you know, I'm angry at what I'm reading at. It's just, I'm kind of just focused and I kind of like, I frown. And um, that the comment was made during one of my surgery rotations. You look like you don't want to be here. Mind you, I was reading, you know, I was reading, I was studying. And, you know, for me, and I've told my girls this, you know, coming into medical school, I wanted to be a surgeon. It was nobody on this earth that could tell me that I was not going to be a cardiovascular surgeon period and that rotation broke me the things that were said the things that were not said the things that were done the things that were allowed to happen broke me to the point where I said I will never in life do surgery and that is hard to take a goal that a a girl little girl had and strip it from her because all you look at is that she's black all you look at is that maybe she doesn't belong here. She doesn't want to be here. And, you know, I am going into internal medicine with hopes of being an interventional cardiologist. So they didn't strip me too hard because cardiovascular cardio is life for me. But just 
the fact that it navigated, it changed the course of my career because all I could see is if I step into this OR, either I'm gonna be ignored, either I'm gonna be told I don't look like I wanna be here. And I don't wanna do seven years of grueling training. That's already hard. Residency is already hard. Do that and be a black woman. I had to choose. I had to figure out what kind of peace um, I wanted to keep for myself. And, you know, unfortunately, some people are, are stronger and can deal with it. And some people, you know, can take it on a chin. But for me, I needed to figure out for Erica, who, who, who do I really want to be? Do I want to be the stressed out CT surgeon who's always worried about her looking black and not belonging? Or what, what, what can I do to make myself happy and fulfill a, um, a goal of mine? And, you know, that's just what it is. You're always, as, as a black woman in medicine or anywhere in life, you are always going to remember one thing and one thing only, that you are a black woman. You're not gonna worry about, I'm, I'm gonna be the first engineer here in this company, I'm gonna be this. You're going to remember, no matter what you're wearing, no matter how docile you may look or timid you may try to be, you are a black woman. And to a lot of people, that's violence already. That is violence already. And what can you do? You can be the introvert like Court. You can be bold and confident like Kika. Somebody ain't gonna like it because you're a black woman. And yeah, y'all all made. <laughs> Look, I almost didn't start talking because I was like, is the sermon over? Like, is it time for us to start clapping? Because wow but um yeah everybody makes such great points like med school is a lot of shucking and driving and tap dancing and i feel like as a black woman you constantly have to put on this mask or else your grades are going in the trash um i'm sure we all have you know terrible evaluations and some of mine sound the exact same like hmm. <laughs> hmm, what is similar between all of these i just cannot put my finger on it but yeah, so much shucking and jiving, even switching from clinicals to interview and match season, we're doing basically the same thing. Um, a lot of us think we have to do that. Um, personally, for me, um, I had given that up. In med school, I was like, I'm far more. Like, I'm a great person. And for people to experience me is a privilege. And so uh, the way I carry myself and the way I move into a room that just cannot and will never be uh, suppressed. And I'm gonna do it the same way every day. And whether you like it or not, that's your problem, babes, not mine. So um, that's something they personally have to work on. Um, and thank God that, you know, the people who do meet me see me as the light that I am and um, wanna share that with other people. And so I think being a black woman is all about black liberation, being set free from the shackles that you know society tries to put on you. And that's really all this, you know, thing is about because, but yeah, y'all said it even better than I could ever have. So let's go to the next thing, um, medical education. So there is a lot of things that we are taught in that school that just, you know, is wrong, <laughs> completely wrong, to be honest. Um, and, you know, this is not the 
1970s. This is like 2020. You know, this stuff is still in uh, PowerPoints across the world, you know, that Black people have higher risk for this, but giving no explanation as to why that is. And so, <clears throat> you know, they use things like Caucasian, Black, African-American, Asian to denote biological differences when you know, race isn't biologic, it's a social construct. And, you know, we could talk about how that was constructed over time and how it was perpetuated through the transatlantic slave trade, but that is a talk for another day. We are focusing and centering Black women today. Um, and so, you know, there are just a lot of things we were taught in med school, and this is just a list I pulled up. Um, you know, making links between racial groups and particular diseases, um, so you um, I'm sure everyone has seen the slide of black people being at high risk for hypertension, diabetes, obesity, and you know, having no explanation as to why, you know, those things are happening, not the redlining, the socio-political aspects of what being black means in America and why that puts us as higher risk for things like diabetes and obesity. Um, and did someone say hey? I said in Canada. Oh, in Canada? <laughs> yes, in Canada too. Um, teaching of guidelines that endorse the use of racial categories in diagnosis and treatment. This is the biggest one that I feel like showed its head more in the clinical years. I've had attending say, yeah, I don't prescribe this medication to Black people um, because, you know, that there was this one study, the one study that did like, if you look at the study, the methods don't make no sense. <laughs> like, they're grouping Black people just based on, like, them being Black, um, not, you know, these people are Nigerian, these people are, you know, Jamaicans, they're all from different parts of the world, and you're just, you know, grouping them into Black and judging their response to medications, and you're going off of that, um, and not the person sitting right in front of you, which is, which is what it needs to be, you know, centered on. And so they're just so much... <laughs> wrong with medical education, but you know, um, and it's not our problem to fix. I think that, you know, one thing about me is I'm passionate and if there's something I'm gonna wanna fix it, especially if it's within my uh, reach, um, but it should not be, the owner should not be put on black people alone to make the changes necessary. And so if anyone has anything they wanna say on this slide, y'all are welcome to do that. Um at least like in clinicals, like I just want to add the how black patients are always considered like non-compliant. And I'm like, okay, so I purposely do this thing where if they say in rounds like, oh, this patient is always non-compliant, I pick up that patient because now I want to know why they're not compliant. Like I had a patient recently and they're like, yeah, she always comes in. She's not complying with her medication. She does drugs, blah, blah, blah. I go talk to the lady. She clearly has like an extensive psych history, like PTSD, abuse, current, current abuse, previous abuse. She's trying to get off of the drugs that she's doing. And she doesn't have a job. And she can't, they have her on like 17 medications and she can't afford them. And she's like, the only, re only time I come back is when I run out of the supply that I had. And then they're like, no, she's just not complying. I'm like, no, she just can't afford the, $7,000 worth of medication that you guys are prescribing her. So maybe you find medications that are cheaper or find medications that can somehow 
like lessening the amount of medications that she's taking and she's going to be compliant. She's not being not compliant. She just doesn't have the resources for this. And I feel like that's one thing that like always upsets me because it's just so easy. Like, yeah, that patient's just not compliant and just not care about their care when it's like, all you have to do is ask this person, hey, why are you not taking your medication? Why are you not coming to appointments? They're going to answer you and then you can help them. Yeah. Alana, you said it, sis. You said it. Um, Non-compliant, drug-seeking, combative. You can't, you can't, those three, you cannot tell me my patient is. I'm not going to believe it for one. I don't care if, even if they black, brown, blue, orange, it doesn't matter because there's something there that you're not picking up on and it's causing these things. It's a domino effect. But my, my favorite one, I love to hear are those three. And it's usually, it is usually black people, black men, black women, but specifically that combative one, black women. All the black men. Oh, it goes to black men, but I've been hearing it a lot with black women. Black and, women yeah. and the reason why is because if you guys didn't know me and I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm in pain and I raised my voice just a little bit to y'all, y'all understand, oh, sis is in pain. But to somebody else that's, that's not us will say, oh, she's getting a little too aggressive here. She's getting a little too, you know, she's not listening. I mean, we, we saw what happened when, when somebody can label a black woman aggressive, uh, they'll ignore, telltale signs about um, a, a disease uh, progression. And maybe, maybe, maybe she might just have been a doctor who knew what was happening. And she's not here with us anymore because they thought she was too aggressive. And she, she scared and threatened uh, nursing staff. So we know who we're talking about here. We know what doctor that was that we lost to COVID, right? So we, mm -hmm. we see all these labels non-compliant, combative, aggressive. And there's a story there. Um, I had a patient who was told, uh, they told me, oh gosh, she is so non-compliant. She doesn't listen. And come to find out, sis was laid off. She had um, mouse to feed and she didn't have a car because she had to sell her car to pay rent. And she told me, she said, and you know how black women are, you know, baby, I, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, difficult. I'm not, I'm not trying to, but I just, I can't, I have, I have my grandchildren. I have to worry about them and I'm trying to, trying to eat right. But the store is like 10 miles from me. Trying to get on the bus is that take, that's all day. So how come I can go in there as a student and just sit for five, 10 minutes and listen and figure out what the problem was with this woman? I'm looking at the record, the chart. For two or some years, y'all have been calling her non-compliant. And she's been dealing with this this whole entire time. So those kind of labels, I, I, I hate to hear them and I do my best to keep my attitude under wraps when I hear it because right then and there you kind of kicking your patient towards towards the coffin just a little a little faster because you don't want to listen to them you don't want to hear it 
And so, you know, unfortunately, Black people don't get the grace extended to them. They don't get the second chance. They don't get the, um, you know, benefit of the doubt. They don't get it yet. And, you know, it's killing us amongst other things. You know, like Farrell Moy said, the research that just does not make sense. We're not genetically different. We're not biologically mm -hmm. different. We're human beings. We're all human beings. You're telling me the color of my skin makes me different? It's not true. I literally, <laughs> I asked um, an attending that, because um, he was the same one that was like, yeah, I don't give this medication to black patients because whatever. And I was like, so why? What is the reason for that? And so it's like me, the residents, another attending and this attending. And we're all just sitting there just, you know, listening. And he was like, yeah, so apparently the lungs of black people are much bigger. They have more mass. Um, oh my god <laughs> well their makeup of the uh distribution of whatever uh enzyme is different and so the um response to medication has to be changed to this medication instead and i was like i just didn't know what to say like somebody else had to say something <laughs> But this it makes them sound so ignorant right like this is a doctor that's practicing and exactly medical students and has been doing so for a very long time very well respected in their community and is sitting here teaching medical students that black people's lungs are built differently and like t being able to teach somebody that um just that's so dangerous because what do you think that person is going to go out and do because they think Black people are different. They can categorize them in any category they want. Usually it's subhuman. <laughs> and they go off of that in every patient encounter they meet with another Black person. So it's just like, we have all these health disparities that we're noticing and doing the research on. And we're like, where is it coming from? We just don't understand. Like, y'all have been perpetuating this for generations now. Um, it's time to, like, face the mirror, right? Like, you you did this boo it's time to do something about it and so um that brings us to our next question what would equitable medical education that centers the marginalized look like um and so we have like different re recommendations for this but one of the biggest themes that i found like most relevant is basically being able to understand how structural and institutional racism coupled with interpersonal discrimination negatively affects policing, criminal justice, healthcare, education, food security, housing, employment, every single part of what it means to live anywhere <laughs> is how racism reaches. And that's what gets me the most about the comment, like you're making it about race. Everything is about race. Made about race. Because that's how it was built. This is how the society was structured. For you to be able to sit on your high horse and tell me I'm making everything about race when you did that and are currently benefiting from it, you are out of your mind. You are just out of your mind. Like I just, I, the audacity for people to be able to do that and black women always have to, you know, bite their tongue and try to say the right things or you're gonna be uh, labeled as aggressive. You could be blackballed in your industry. It's been done many times. Uh, women, black women are being fired. Just the other day, uh, Dr. Corey got fired. Um, we have Dr. Denner now. <laughs> like it's it's happening, and 
unless we put our foot down and say, this is what's going on, and these are things that we have to mitigate, it's not going to change. It's going to keep happening. And every time, people are going to be shocked, like, it hasn't been happening for the last 50 to hundreds of years. Um, any other points? I was just going to say that um, recently, I've been thinking a lot about and you mentioned the firings of these like black physicians. I've been thinking a lot about how recently, like in, in the past 10 years, I would say, so many of us have kind of bought into representation politics. And I think representation is important, right? Like I think seeing yourself is really key, especially, you know, when Erica was talking about how she felt during that surgery rotation, I was the opposite in that I came to medical school long ago when I was younger, I wanted to be a surgeon. But by the time I was recently coming into medical school, I wanted to be a pediatrician. I didn't want to do surgery. I remember my first few surgery like experiences. I was like, I don't want to do surgery. And then I found the surgery I like, and I'm like, nothing's stopping me. You can shoot me in the foot and I'm still going to pursue this career. And it's important to me because I want people to see a black female surgeon. But I think I'd recently come to the realization that representation politics has very severe limits because if we aren't liberated, if the structure hasn't changed, then black women kill themselves fighting for other people and we're still gonna get fired. Those two black women did everything in their positions to make other people safe. They did far above and beyond what was expected of them and they still got fired. So it's like, at the end of the day, if we don't change how the whole house looks, right? No matter how you try to pretty it up, no matter how many black people you put in the house, it's still gonna fall apart. Like we have to rebuild the entire system and people aren't ready for that. And I don't think they're like, I, I watch people in situations and I'm like, this isn't liberation y'all. Like all of us are really just making it through and it reminds me of this tweet I saw recently that I love so much. I'm thinking of like literally printing it out and framing it. Let me see if I remember correctly. I think he said, I hope my ancestors forgive me for trying to make it to a table that they would have flipped over, mm. right? All of us are trying to get a seat at the table when our ancestors would have burnt that whole table down, mm. right? And that's what representation politics looks like, you know? We're all shucking and jiving, trying to make ourselves a face of something but if it doesn't change, then what's the point? And all these black women literally are trying their hardest. They're not shucking and jiving. These two black women that they were trying to change a system that still crushed them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just so frustrating sometimes. And I feel a sense of hopelessness sometimes that I really get over really quickly because I'm like, oh, you can't be hopeless because you wouldn't be here if your ancestors got hopeless, right? None of us would even be in medical school if our ancestors weren't like, I see a future for my descendants. It would have been, to me, sometimes I wake up when I'm in, in a medical situation, when I'm standing in an OR and I'm the only black woman in that OR, I think my grandmother would be losing her mind right now. At the fact that I am rubbing shoulders with these people, or sometimes when I really get in my, in my zhuzh, in my feelings, when I'm telling people what to do, when I'm like, actually, you got that wrong. This is the right way to do this procedure. I'm like, my grandma, my great grandma, my own mother would, are so proud of me in this situation. And they probably could only imagine what all of us here are doing today. So we have to continue thinking of the things that we can't imagine today 
that our children are going to achieve. I still can't fathom Canada ever having a Black female prime minister because we're not even close, y'all. We're not even in the same planet. Mm. <laughs> or I can't imagine having a Black female dean of medicine. Some of y'all down there have achieved it. Canada's not even in the same planet. We're not even in the same atmosphere. We're just vibing. But we have to maintain that thought in order for us to get there. So that's just my own personal quip with representation politics. It really has its own limits, but it also has the things it, it does well. Nobody has anything else. We'll go on to the necessities of diversity. So I feel like a lot of institutions do not know what diversity means. Um, especially when they put it together with equity and inclusion. Um, they're just not getting the message. So they think it is really only about like increasing minority representation, um, which I mean, the job they're doing is not that good. <laughs> um, I wouldn't even put good and that together, but anyways. Um, but on top of increasing the diversity, you also have to make sure that the people you recruit are supported um, in the same ways that your white students are. Um, because otherwise you are going to get these students who have, um, who do not have the same circumstances as everybody typically in med school. Cause you know, we, we all know how, what the uh, income distribution of people in med school looks like, okay? We're very familiar with that. Um, and, you know, Black people come from historically marginalized backgrounds, disadvantaged backgrounds, because of the effects of slavery that are still existing today. Um, there's a huge income gap. And so when you put them in an environment uh, where success is basically based on the amount of money you have, I mean, what, what do y'all expect? Like, if people are going to struggle, we're going to struggle otherwise. And so... Um, a lot, we, I saw things on Twitter, like, you know, at every level of, you know, advanced education, Black people are lost in the pipeline, um, the pipeline is leaking, and um, a lot of that is because there's no support once the recruitment is done. They recruit you, and then that's it. <laughs> they leave you high and dry, um, treat you differently, don't give you the same resources, and even in peer groups, you know, why don't you get help from your peers? <laughs> Do the peers want to help me? Is that, <laughs> is that, do they want to help me though? That's the question. And so um, when you are facing discrimination from on the interpersonal level with your admin, with the faculty, you know, you, it's very alienating and isolating. And um, these are things that have to be addressed if there's going to be any sincere effort for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So financial support, academic support, um, and if you're gonna do the protection, because racism is not gonna just go away, it's bred into the US, right? Um, you actually have to do something when a black person tells you something is wrong. So a lot of my experience personally is if I report something, if there even is a way to report it, um, I type it in and it just gets lost. I either don't get a response or someone tries to talk me and like, are you sure that's how that happened or are you sure that they perceived that? I'm sure they didn't mean to do, like, why are you telling, I'm telling you what happened. <laughs> like, why are you telling me what they meant? It doesn't matter what, what they meant. Intention, racism is never about intention. People get that 
very confused sometimes. Racism is never about intention. And so um, on top of like impactful reporting, being able to respond um, adequately and, you know, offering consequences that, you know, actually impede the person, not just giving them an essay to write and calling it a day, like, you know, until that is reached, there is not going to be a sincere effort. Does anyone else want to add anything? I... <laughs> I'm sorry, everything this slide is talking about right now is like really resonating because currently there's an organization on my campus that's really trying to increase um, the like matriculation of black students into our medical school um, because currently our first year class, there's only one black man in the class. Um, I'm sorry, you can assume how alienated that is. Um, and the numbers have gone down actually, as far as like black student matriculation goes, like it was, it was 10, 15, nine, four, like it's all over the place. But I mean, diversity is not as superficial as people think that it is. Like you're talking about recruiting black people or just other um, minority, um, minority students. Um, it's more than that you recruit the black people is, are there safe spaces on campus for those black people, right? Okay, then we think about these institutions, where they're located. Where are most of your black students coming from? Are they out of state? All right, let's focus on at the out of state situation. In-state tuition at my school is 36,000. Out of state tuition at my school is 70,000. These people are making almost double off of students who look like me and come from out of state because all of the, all of the black students at my school, most of them, 95% of them are out of state, you know? So, so much money is being made off of our backs, but we aren't, we, we don't feel safe on campus. There are no, the resources don't exist, you know? And I, it just, it bothers me so much because it's not enough to say we are a diverse institution and blah, blah, blah. Like my school has, bragged about being um, looked at as a poster child for diversity, but here all the black students on campus are like, diversity, who said that, you know? Um, so it's not enough to bring us here. You have to make sure that we're supported financially. Like, you know, this, I'm, we're not getting enough scholarships to cover the cost because 70,000 is too much. And I'm not even taking out 70,000, I'm taking out 100,000 each year to supplement for like room and board, transportation. and. I'm sorry, but I have bills to pay as well. I have a card payment. I have all types of other financial responsibilities I had prior to coming here. And you guys don't want to cover that. So I have to increase how much, much more, how much more money I take out in loans, but it's just, it's frustrating. And then on top of that, you want to talk about like, um, Farrah Moy said, mentioned like, um, are you, um, what about your peers? Are your peers helping you? Do my peers want to, interact with me. I won't even begin to start about talking about how many resources black students don't get don't lay their eyes on because they're not being circulated in their little you know pools of people. There are documents that I've only been able to get because a white student gave it to me. I wouldn't have been able to get it from another black um, medical student because we just don't have access to those resources. Resources that are really like make or break when it comes to certain examinations or like rotations and whatnot. 
And so of course, all of these other students look very prepared and the black students are like, you know, somewhat fumbling um, through everything. And it's just a bit more difficult, but like, it's, it's not enough to be like, yeah, we, we have these people on campus and then you put them in the brochures and all this stuff. And then meanwhile, you speak to these black students that are on the brochures and they don't feel supported at all, but you're making coin off of their likeness in your like in your like uh, marketing and it just it's it's very frustrating it's very frustrating for me and it's not it's not it's not enough to just have the students there they need to be safe because at this point i don't even feel comfortable like i don't feel comfortable suggesting that any other black student come to my institution because i don't want them to struggle like i've been struggling that just it would be so unfair i want to quickly yeah, sorry. Oh, Alana, I, I done interrupted you, girl. I just, <laughs> I just want to quickly add a plus one because Canada, you know what? Canada's an entire frozen wasteland. We all been known that being <laughs> Canada. Y'all have your own mess and we have our own because there are so, like, sometimes it's like when I look at med schools in America, I'm like, yeah, that's screwed up. Y'all are screwed up for real, for real. But at the same time, it's like, I have my hands, I guess, against a glass pane. And I'm like, like, get me out of here. Like someone needs to call the police, like, get me out. Well, don't call the police because I'm black, but get me out of here because But what I'm trying to say is like bringing the, the perspective of a Canadian our biggest issue is just the huge disconnect between how they treat black people and what they think this country is. Like, we don't even have discussions on race. We're just getting there. We're just getting there. And whenever you start a discussion about race in this country, people are like, well, we didn't have slavery. I'm like, that's not true. You sure did. You sure did. Because guess who you are? You're an American brother that just ended up in a different place. Okay. And it's very frustrating because we can't even start anything. So for example, in my school, I'm close to Toronto, which has the most black people in this country. And I'm one of two black students in my class of over 200. And in the class below me, no black medical students. They have 204 students, not a single black person, not even someone with a one drop, nothing, nothing. There's nothing there, y'all. Knock, knock, no one's answering. Not the phone. one drop. <laughs> and it's just like, and I think to add to what Court was saying, one of the biggest issues with having few Black students and then trying to recruit more is that now I'm involved in all these meetings with my school where they're like, how do we solve this issue? How do we solve this issue? Another issue too is the minority taxes that I feel like I have, like the, the giants before me got me here. So I also have like a need to advocate for Black students. But guess what that is? That's emotionally, emotionally financially and physically draining. All of us here, I'm sure, have been in all those meetings where all these people are asking you Black opinion, but you know they don't care about your Black opinion. And you're just trying to do your best to change things, but it's so draining. And the, like, this is me going to be dragging white allies for a moment, but white advocates and allies are allowed to step into the pool and dip out, right? Like for them, it's like a CV edition. For me, it's survival. Like you're allowed to come to a meeting and get your good pat on the back for the day because you advocated for black people. Meanwhile, I'm still gonna wake up tomorrow being the only black woman in my class. 
So it's a very different ball game for both of us advocating for the same thing in the same meeting. It's very frustrating and we can't say no. Like I can't say no to being asked to come to a meeting because if I don't go there, there's not gonna be any black people there. But I don't wanna go there because it's not like they're gonna even care what I say. Like we never win. And then if you don't go, it's a, oh, yeah. we care. Um, we hear you. We, we love see you. you. We acknowledge we see you. you. <laughs> You're not what, trying what you to show how you feel. How are we going to help you if you don't try? Well, I mean, if you go to listen at the 17 last meetings we had, you would know. But like, um, oh, there was something that Court said that I wanted to directly like piggyback off. But like, in terms of like financial support and everything, just like giving a background, like my school is a uh, combined program so like I did my undergrad and my grad stuff right so straight out of high school they convinced little me to go there whatever and they're like yeah you know we're taking all the underrepresented minorities in medicine and giving them degrees I'm like all right cool then I get there and I'm like I was They kind of forget the definition of underrepresented in medicine. Of underrepresented in medicine could not be someone who's both of their parents are physicians, someone who's a, a white man. Let's just be honest here. And like someone whose income into their house is six hundred seven hundred thousand dollars a year like you can afford to get into wherever whatever you could do the MCAT prep you could do all the things that you need to do to make it and then you have students like us or like that during like undergrad there was a bunch of students that were told oh you need to quit your job because you're not putting in the amount of work that you need to put in to do well or maybe you're just not teaching me and providing me with the things I need for me to academically survive. You can't tell me to quit my job if you're not paying my rent. Like, are you gonna pay my rent? Are you gonna pay my tuition? Are you gonna give me the same access to these scholarships where it's a, oh, to apply for this scholarship, you need this amount of recommendations. You need to have done this amount of research, but you know, you can't do research because you need to do all this different type of studying. And I know like we've had a, a conversation recently about like how black women don't get diagnosed with learning disabilities. So we just keep going and going and going with a lot of the times we can't function at that level because we have an undiagnosed learning disability, uh, disability. and reading a textbook in three days is not gonna happen. Like you're gonna have to just get what you could get. So yeah, I'm gonna have to keep this job. I need to read this whole textbook in three days. I need to tell the people in my class that putting on a charcoal mask and saying, hey, I'm black is is racist. And just go to go to class and be like, yeah, you know, we're all dealing with the same things here. And I'm like, that's how that works. You can't, one, tell me that things like that aren't racist, but that's a whole nother conversation. 
to tell me I'm supported when I'm not getting the same tutoring opportunities. I can't afford these resources that you're telling me to buy. I can't afford to pay my rent and feed myself and make sure I'm getting to class on time. And I know my school doesn't have this, but I know some schools have where like you have to dress professionally to preclinical classes and stuff like that. Like, so <laughs> Kika's face just killed me. But some people don't have the accessibility to that. Like, it just, it just doesn't make sense. I know like, <laughs> Kika was talking about white allies and I felt like that was just like the perfect segue into what we were talking about next. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, let's 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 do this first. <laughs> um, so allyship checkpoints, you know, there are different checkpoints to people who claim themselves to be allies, which um let me make this clear, you should not be claiming yourself to be an ally to anything. That title should be given to you by the people you claim to be supporting. Um, so if black people do not say you're an ally, baby, you're not an ally. <laughs> like that's not that's just not what it is. So on that path to becoming an ally, and I did talk about that in my first episode, but just condensing it here, you know, the first level, which should just be level zero, um, is apathetic. So you have no understanding whatsoever of what is going on around you. Um, second is becoming aware, figuring out that racism exists, right? Um, knows basic concepts, but you're not active on yourself, like to act on behalf of yourself or others. So you're just like aware of the stuff that's happening, but you're like, mm, it's not affecting me, so I'm not gonna do anything about it. And so number three is active. <clears throat> so this is where you know you start, you know, downloading but not reading your anti-racism books, and then sharing, um, seeking diversity, and when asked and prompt, um, you know, interjecting in conversations that didn't involve you whatsoever. Um, so that's number three, number active. And then you finally become an advocate. Let me move this to the other side. Um, when you are committed and routinely and proactively championing exclusion, inclusion. I said exclusion, I'm so sorry, Freudian slip. Inclusion. And so um, I felt like this is where I got this from. <clears throat> Allyship requires more than lip service. Um, and I don't like the wording of championing inclusion, because I really feel like allies, you're not supposed to be working toward championing anything. You're just supposed to be working toward making yourself a better person. And so like one of my big issues with this, um, just over the six months since, you know, starting Lay Black and, you know, coming back, taking a break, um, is that, you know, being an anti-racist, it does take a lot of work like a lot of you know daily routines and stuff but also like why do we have to teach you to be a good person <laughs> like shouldn't this I really do feel like some of this is very common sense um but you know as a black person um who has been subject to a lot of the effects of all of this um it's just different I don't know what do y'all think mm, I will I will say something about uh that quote from uh, that's at the bottom, Deborah Codner. I hope I'm saying the name right. Um, yeah, so Faramoy, you know, allyship 
and what you mentioned, you know, allyship is not, you know, oh, I believe black people. So tell me your experience so I can share your trauma with you and relive, you know, have you relived your trauma so I can go, oh, I'm so sorry, you know. Um, and that's what I see a lot that happens on Twitter with the uh, people that got BLM in their bio, you know, it's, um, can you tell me, um, your experience or thank you for sharing. I'm so sorry. That's one of my um, pet peeves is seeing like somebody, some, some one of us mentioning something that we've been through. And at that like reply, it's, I am so sorry. Can you, um, you know, tell me, or, you know, they ask us to keep going in debt with this trauma. And then, you know, with some of the things that have been highlighted this year, we're seeing, um, quote unquote allies who are speaking for black people. And it's, we, we, we got lips, you know, we, we got a voice, you know, we can, we can share it, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like being an ally is, you know, stepping aside in, in my opinion and allowing black people to have a voice and allowing black people to have opportunities and have and allowing black people to have, you know, equity um, and, you know, it's it's hard because some people feel like they're doing what they feel is right and what we're asking for them to do. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people, in my opinion, don't really know better or maybe that's just being, being optimistic, but there's also people who I feel take the opportunity to call themselves allies and really it's, you know, wanting them, they want to pat themselves, you know, on the back and say, look at me, I'm not racist, because I put out a thread, you know, saying how much Black people matter, and look at me, I have BLM in my bio, you know, so I, I can't be racist, and it's like, no, nah, but you can, though, you can, <laughs> I'm just letting you know you can, and you are right now, but we'll talk about that later. You are right now because you're telling me to be quiet and you kind of like, you know, you hijacked our movement um, with your allyship. So I just feel like sometimes it's just better to like, it's okay to say, you know what, this is not, this is not my experience and I'm here to learn and better myself. I don't need your threads. I don't need you to, you know, message me about how bad you feel you can keep the tears and I don't care. And, and it's not that I don't care, like, you know, screw what you have to say. It's just more so it's for you to do some self-reflection and, you know, take, take what you learned and teach your people how not to be racist and how not to, to, you know, um, be discriminatory to black people. I don't really need to, I don't need the words there. Just Take that action and, and teach your people because I can guarantee if you feel that you are, you know, you've done some racist things and you want to be an ally, you know, there's people in your family and your in your circle of friends who who are battling with, you know, those things as well. Maybe you need to go teach them. And also the library is, well, it was open, but Google is free. So I'm not going to tell you the resources to look at. You know, if I can Google how to, or, you know, um, racial 
things that goes on in America or, or whatever have you. I know you can too. If my, if my fingers work, your fingers work. I'm not going to teach you. It's not my job to, to tell you about my trauma and relive it so you understand where I'm coming from. And it's damn sure not my job to teach you these things while I am still being a Black person every single day, which is a job in itself, trying to survive in America. So, you know, allyship, um, I'm not really that vocal on, on Twitter because of, you know, the things that I see that you guys deal with on, you know, med Twitter or other, you know, groups of Twitter, because it's, it's rough trying to get people to look in the mirror, you know, and see, see what they're really doing wrong because then they're offended. You know, it's, do you want my allyship or not? It's like, <laughs> you know, I that, don't. <laughs> that, 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 hey, I hate that. Like, do you want our support or not? Like, maybe no. If you got no. Let, let me, if you need any type of validation but for the support, I don't need it because then it's not support. It's I think that's what it is. I feel like it's a form of validation where every time some cyclical event of one of us dying or someone being fired, they're like, okay, well, you know, everyone thinks in this set type of boxes. You're like, okay, Black person hurt. What do I do? Let's look through my phone and look for a black person. Okay, found her. Let's tell them I'm sorry, or what can I do? Why didn't you do that before? Why didn't you do that when it was a sunny day and I was happy and I'm at the beach? Why didn't you say, hey, Sally, what's going on? How's everything? You know, I had this experience with this one and I advocated for this. Can you give me some pointers on where I went wrong, what I can do right on a normal day? Like, why does it have to be some type, enduring trauma, mind you. I'm already processing, you know, the death of this person, this person firing, you know, I can't even have a place to sit down and be without all of this in my face. And then you message me going, hey man, I don't know what's going on. This is crazy. I know that it's all over. I can't, you know, message me when I'm feeling a little better, when it's dissolved. So you can pinpoint where you went wrong, what you can do as an ally. And then like added yeah. on like, the fact of trauma like as an ally you are not allowed to accept apologies on the <laughs> no you, you are not allowed to do that like like who are you um and why did you think that or like because People say it's not accepting an apology, but patronizing someone that's done something clearly racist and just being like, oh, it's okay. We all make mistakes. Nobody accidentally calls someone the N-word. Like you have, you don't make a mistake like that. Especially like with the things that happen on Twitter, you have to type it out, look at it. And that's what I was saying. Yep. Your brain (laughs) sent signals. The synapses connected. You brought your fingers to the phone and typed it out. There were several clear indications, clear, no, 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 don't do this. But you kept saying, yes, yes, yes. That was the algorithm. And then you posted it or you said it or you did it. And then it was, I'm so sorry. And everyone's like, it's okay, you're fine. Or they'd be like, oh, I know this person. They're so good. They would never. It was like, well, your friend just- Here they are. Called me a month ago. They did it, it, child. They did. No, the y'all y'all know. Do you see my face? Y'all know this. This is what the 
this is what gets me is when someone fixes their finger to say something racist and their friend not in the marginalized group my sweetie pie lovey dovey beautiful pigeon dove you would never do something like this i saw you two weeks ago and you fed a poor cat and now you're here and people are hating on you but i remember that poor sad cat that you fed the way i don't care like why would they try to lie and be like oh no their page must be hacked no your friend is just racist your friend is racist my favorite my favorite is when they go i was just having a bad day i was depressed and my dad he went off on me and i just got angry what's so you went from right, misdirected like, anger Take so that that's a subconscious thing honestly <laughs> because if you're angry your conscious is angry and then you know this algor- algorithm in your brain is going angry racist then something is wrong that you need to address or when their friend that's not the marginalized person or a lot of black person's like, I've never seen them be racist. I was like, how are they going to be racist to you when you're not black? Explain it. <laughs> like, I've never seen it because you're white, boo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if they were racist to you, I'd be concerned because you're the same color. What yeah. is going on here? Just- I, I'm thinking about this one, like, I'm thinking about allyship and we're talking about like our moments on Twitter but I'm especially thinking about like the allyship on Twitter or allyship, whatever, how you want to pronounce it. And on Twitter, I just, I don't see it. I pretend not to see it because it doesn't matter to me. I most, I'm, I mostly focus on the people who claim to be allies or advocates in my, in my institution. Cause I had a situation where um, I was like wrongly accused of missing too many days of a lab um, for whatever reason. I don't know why. This is, and this is, you know, as black women, we're like, what could it have been? Is it my race? Is it my gender? Is it both? Like, why couldn't this person see me, like literally see me to count me present? Um, so I had, I got written up and I had to meet with a dean for unprofessionalism. And I'm very emotional because I'm like, I do my best as a black woman to just lay low, stay low key. I don't want y'all to know my name. I don't want y'all to know who I am. I just want, I'm, I'm here to get my degree, then leave. So the fact that I had to meet with this Dean because she heard about this whole situation, it was just, it had me very emotional. And I'm like fighting back angry tears, like the tears that would, before you're about to like start swinging on inanimate objects, like I was holding back tears because this woman who doesn't really know the structure of our like um, our curriculum, doesn't understand like how someone like me could even be in this position trying to tell me what I should have done you should have spoken to this person you should have talked to this person you shouldn't have done this I actually don't think I, I don't like the way you did this and at one point in this meeting she's telling me oh you you should you need to um present all your evidence your evidence to prove that you were there mind you I had already thought about all of that I already like I have my timestamp notes I have friends in my in the lab who were with me who can advocate on my behalf say I was there so she's telling me all of this and I'm like, you're not really saying anything different to me right now. Like I've already thought about all of this. I've already emailed all of this to the people who need to receive it. And it's, it hasn't got me anywhere. And at one point she said to me, you know, I don't feel that you're very enthusiastic about the changes that I'm asking you to make. And it's making me one question whether or not I want to advocate for you. And she said that to my face and I was like, you don't have a choice. You are a dean. You are a dean of like 
this institution. Your literal job is to advocate on behalf of the students. And what made me upset is that no one throughout this entire situation ever, ever issued me the benefit of the doubt. They all assumed that I was just another student who's trying to get out of the lab and blah, blah, blah. And this dean who has so much power had the opportunity to speak on behalf of me and try to like, you know, bring like issue some understanding. Like, let's think about the student's track record. Let's think about what has, has a student ever had to come to the, to my office before for any unprofessionalism issues? No. Why are we all assuming that they did this in bad faith? Why aren't we considering that this person did in fact make a mistake and that they should be brought, you know, they should be held accountable for the mistake they made and said, the onus is on me to do all these things to like make this disappear. And she said that to me and I was like, I off rip, this is not a safe space. And I hope I never have to be in this space again. I hope I never have to speak with this Dean ever again about anything. And very recently we had to like rank um, um, all of these um, deans at our school to choose who we want to write our Dean's letter for our ERAS um, application. The way I ranked this woman dead last, Period. Dead last. Didn't even Period. Right there. I know that's right. I know that's right. <laughs> you know what? It's it's really sad that a lot of people who consider themselves advocating for black people or allyship, they'll dangle it in in in, mm -hmm. in our face. Like, like it's transactional. Yeah. It's transactional. It's, like, it's either it's either you're race you're racist or you're not. It's either that you you care and black lives do matter to you or it doesn't. You're not gonna dangle it in front of me because technically I've been okay without your allyship for the amount of years I've been on this earth. So if you really don't consider yourself an ally or you really don't want to do the work within yourselves, that's your problem, baby. That's not mine. Mm-hmm. And they spend so much time thinking about, okay, this is one of my pet peeves, is when people spend so much time thinking about how hard it is to be an ally, instead of how hard it is to be a marginalized person. I'm like, sweetie, when you go to bed, you can wake up and decide not to do this. Yep. I can't scrub my skin off. I can't nope. wake up tomorrow and decide not to be black. I'm just black. And it exactly goes to that previous point we talked about where it's like, you can be quiet, <laughs> loud, extroverted, introverted. You can be skinny. You can be tall. Like it doesn't matter how you slice or dice it. Whenever I walk into a hospital, whenever I walk into a clinical situation, they see black or woman first, whichever choice of ism they want to use first they see that and that's what they're that's what they're going to move with and i think once again it points to that thing of like you know some of the people who some of the people who think that respectability will work where they're like maybe you should do your hair better maybe you should wear this maybe you should be quiet it's like at the end of the day i remember like when i was in high school i wrote this poem or something and i don't remember the rest of the poem because it was probably bad but i remember one line from this poem that really i identify with to this day and i, I think i wrote like my skin is like a traffic light like you can't like either you're gonna bypass and get a ticket right from me or <laughs> or like you have to stop and you have to think about it and you have to like actually react to the situation at hand like I can't change what I look like. And it's very frustrating that people routinely forget that I'm not gonna give you a cookie for being an ally. Like, and I don't deserve a cookie for whether or not people decide I'm an ally or not, because all of us have ways in which we are privileged. 
And even though I'm a black person and I'm a woman, I have other ways that I'm an ally to other communities. And I should never, ever expect a cookie for that. I should never expect a thank you for someone for being a regular human being. Like if I go forward and I say, oh, like I'm an ally for folks who are disabled, for example, I don't deserve a cookie for that. That's just basic human rights because we live in an ableist world. So if I decide to not be ableist, I don't deserve anything for that because that's how it should be from the get-go. And it really frustrates me that people feel like they deserve something for believing in basic human rights. That's, that's where I get off. That's where y'all not gonna leave me on that train. I'm getting off right at this stop. All right, the only thing you deserve is reprimanding if you're not being a humanistic person because that, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the whole, they do not like being held accountable. Like, <laughs> like they just immediately jumped to, I'm being harassed. They're just, that's a huge thing on men's Twitter specifically. Um, the language that they people. use. Exactly. The language that they use, it's, it's, it's so violent. coded, mm-hmm. it's violent. And if they're we really, talk about it, like, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just going to say it's giving dog whistle. But... The the language too, like especially if it's a black woman that calls them out, is back to, oh, like you're bullying me, you're being aggressive, and like I I called this one person out before for being racist, and then he went and told everybody that I was bullying him, and I was like I didn't bully you, I just told everyone that you were racist. Maybe you should just not be racist. And then he was like, you're ruining my chances of residency. I was like, well, you're being racist. Like, I don't- What? You ruined your own chances. That's what I don't understand. I think, People- I think the racism <laughs> might have ruined the chances. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Like, huh? you can call me out on Twitter. I can use what my Twitter for what I would want to use it for. And, and it's weird because, like, we're calling you out on something you posted publicly you did that we would have never saw it if you never posted it but so like the math is not adding the math is not mathing and then they really like wake up and do things and then they're like oh why am i having consequences for my actions they're like how dare you question something i did and it's like because you're hurting people i never understood that because i think why it's frustrating for me is i've been called out before right? Like I had someone who said, Kika, like you messed up. You ain't supposed to say that. And it's like, people don't understand what humility means. Everyone thinks they're humble until someone humbles them. You know what I mean? Like we all think we're humble until someone sits you down and says, you messed up and you have to own up to it. And I think it really frustrates me that black women are expected to be humbled we're expected to accept when people tell us that we've done something wrong sometimes when it's not valid but we're expected to be humbled but we can't humble anyone else immediately a black woman tells you what you did wrong tells you how you wronged them then all of a sudden it's a different it's aggressive it's this it's bullying it's trash it's whatever yeah but they're all fine and dandy with humbling us so i'm like okay where where does that how does that make any sense it's very frustrating and i think i had a recent racist interaction like I told you guys about with the the person that thought I was a like admin support or lower staff and then apologized to me and I remember feeling like I got home 
And when she did it to me, I was like, I accepted her apology. I was like, don't worry about it. You didn't mean it. And then I got home and I was like, she should have worried about it because I should have, you know, and sometimes you feel guilty as a, like a black woman for allowing people to step all over you. But then I talked about it and one of the counselors at my school, I'm lucky I have a black woman counselor. She was like, why are you feeling bad about something when you have been indoctrinated your whole life to be humbled? And you've been indoctrinated your whole life to believe that standing up for yourself is dangerous. And in some ways it really is. Like if I had told that woman, like, you can't talk to me that way. What you said, it is racist. I don't accept your apology. Imagine how stupid I would have looked. Even though I said what was right, I would have put my own elective at jeopardy. And so that's where it gets really frustrating is that the few times we stand up to people, because people don't know the number of times racist things happen that all of us don't say anything. That's what gets me effed up. That's what gets mm -hmm. me really annoyed is that there's actually many, many times in my life people have done messed up things and I didn't say anything. But the once in a while that I just feel up to it to say something, I'm made to feel like I'm too sensitive. I'm like, if you really want me to be sensitive, I'll, I can be. This is me not being sensitive. So. Then it's like, we're judged for being sensitive. Or but then people of other skin tones can go off when their coffee at Starbucks is regular milk instead of skim milk and it's all seen as fine but like they messed up my order at Starbucks I'm like okay you know what forget it it's fine like I'll just take it I... but like I don't understand and that's the thing. I think they spent their lives not knowing how they are perceived because they don't have to worry about that. So when they call us aggressive, they're actually the aggressor. They're the ones that come on to us and be disrespectful when they talk to us and belittle us. But when we kind of, we're not even belittling them. We're just kind of retorting our feelings and saying it in a respectful manner. They're just like, well, this doesn't calculate as you know, respectful to me because I don't know respectful, what respectful is. I've been disrespectful my whole life. So I don't know how to calculate this or that. So I'm just going to label you as a bully or rude or trash. And it's, it's kind of exhausting whether on Twitter and IRL, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. My mom actually, she just made a good point uh, while Kiko was speaking, you know, black women are considered aggressive while white women might be considered assertive strong, confident for the same things that we may say, for the same tones that we Black women may have. And, you know, it's unfortunate because, you know, as we all seen on, you know, Twitter and the things that get traction on Med Twitter, you know, when Med Bikini came out, it was, you know, everyone was just strong voiced and these beautiful, <laughs> Uh, med students were saying, you know, being real assertive about why can't we wear bikinis as women and da, 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 da. And then George Floyd happened, you know, uh, Breonna Taylor happened and it was just us screaming in, you know, the abyss. Into the void. Yeah. They actually think that these topics are too sensitive. Too They're sensitive. too, yeah, too far-fetched, too like, if they yeah. get into this, there's going to be repercussions. Why? Yeah. And, and then, you know, when we call them out and we're like, yo, 
where where's that energy at you know oh you know there here we go bullying and here we go with the racism and here we go they're harassing us and it's just like dang bro like where where do you guys really stand on real issues real issues because racism isn't just oh you told me my hair was nappy no racism is killing my people so if I want to be assertive about um you know human rights for my black folks um are you are you going to tell me that it, it, it's it's harassing it's bullying it's too aggressive it's too much is it is it really too much for black women to say you know we we matter or you know this is happening to us is I, I don't understand it it's like you either we're quiet and you know then we're you know we're humble and so we get stepped on and then when we're you know a little louder and like hey you know this this is wrong we're bullying we're harassing and you know we need to stay in our place it's like either either one we can't win because either mm -hmm. we're going to take some lickings and then we go home and deal with mental issues which mental mental issues is a huge uh thing in the in the black community that we don't talk about um and most of it stems from the racism that we deal with every day and then if we don't and we're loud or we stand up for what's right we get fired too late kaiser permanente so it's like where 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 do what do y'all where, where do we yeah. sit where 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 are we going to be at because right now we're struggling with our not so much our identity within ourselves but in the community it's like you want representation you want to be an ally but what what do we have to do to make you feel a little bit more comfortable doing that for us what can we give you to make you feel better to do this for us and it's it's just this that's something I constantly deal with internally. Should I speak out or should I just take this licking? Is it is it calm enough for me to take this home with me and deal with it, you know, in my group chat with my sisters or with my parents? Or is it something where I just have to like let the world know I'm telling you this is wrong? It's it's a battle. And all that, all that that I talked about is packed on to black women on our backs every single day. While the people that call themselves allies can scream, 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 scream on Twitter and then get some good sleep. They can, once they log out, they good. They ain't got to mm -hmm. And just remember all of this guys, all of this, you know, faction in our lives, on top of our backs, medical school, interviewing the match, you know, taking step one, taking step two, which, which debt, are all student debt, don't forget the debt. The <laughs> debt, the crippling debt, you know. And I, I remember I was talking to a friend of mine where I was just like, I wonder how it feels where the only thing you have to worry about is opening step one and just reading, you know, reading this, getting on boards and beyond, or, you know, studying for this. That's the only thing they have to worry about. Must be nice. I also think too, like all the time, like for me, I ask myself this question too, like as me, like trying to be an ally for others is what are your, what are you willing to give up? Right? Like you can talk everything. You can use all the hashtags, but when an actual black person is in your organization, in your institution, what are you willing to give up to stand up for them? 
court gave a great story of someone that wasn't willing to give up anything, that wasn't willing to be a true advocate. And I see a lot of people that talk a lot of stuff on Twitter, but when it's face to face in a boardroom, I'm not quite sure they'd actually give up something. And I know it's tough, like it's tough for people to conceptualize that. Even for me too, I'm like, what, what would I give up of because if you think about it, for example, all of us are going to be privileged in a way at some point where we're all going to be economically privileged. We're not there right now. We're actually all bottom of the barrel right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're all in debt. But at some point, we'll be out of this hole. And at some point, we'll have money, but more money probably than our friends we grew up with, more money than our parents had, more money than a lot of average Americans, average Canadians have. And when I've been thinking to myself recently, I'm like, if I make that much money, like, what am I going to be willing to give up for people not making that? How much will I be willing to give to mutual aid? How much will I be willing to sacrifice of my own, you know, like paycheck every month? for people who don't have that privilege. But the fact of the matter is, it's marginalized people with these few privileges that think this way. The people that have everything checked off aren't even in this frame of mind. It's those of us that have these one, two privileges that we're like, how can I use this privilege to stand up for other people? The people that have like privilege in their gender, their class, their race, their background, they just go about living their life in all those ways. A lot of them, let me not, you know, cause someone's gonna come for me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is people don't tend to think that far in the future. And I'm trying to do that where I'm like, if I have more money than I can conceptualize, what am I gonna be willing to sacrifice for the people that don't have that paycheck? Yeah. A lot of people aren't willing to do that. Um, like was said before, and a lot of allyship is, you know, you know, stop talking, shutting up, <laughs> um, giving up your seat at the table, letting someone else sit in it. So um, being able to know when to get out of the way so other people can take over is very big in this as well. Um, but, you know, next slide as far as like what we're talking about next is celebration of Blackness. Because like we can't just go in the whole time and not talk about what makes this great as well. So uh, basically acknowledging all the achievements we've done, and that means all of them, you know, even the ones that some people may not think are, you know, meritable. Um, despite so many things stacked against us, I feel like um, just existing is a form of resistance. And I really do feel that way. Um, it's not monolithic. It looks different for, for everyone. And all variations should be embraced. So like, you know, growing up, um, my parents, you know, they meant well, but they were very much so elitist in classes. And I was like, we're poor. Where's, where's this coming from? Um, so like, you know, they would tell me not, not to hang out with certain black people because of where they grew up or what uh, um, neighborhood they were in. And I'm just like, you know, we in that same neighborhood. I, <laughs> I just, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. Um, so all of that respectability politics has no place in black liberation all variations of Blackness should be embraced. Um, and in that way, you can forge a new world, one that accommodates everyone. And, you know, it doesn't exclude based on little things like appearance. Um, let's see. Oh my gosh, I'm going backwards, y'all. Yeah, this is my last point. You know, anti-Blackness is global, like all over the world. Like there's no place you will go that will not be anti-Black. 
Um, <clears throat> even in places like Jamaica, um, you know, it's not, I mean, most of the people there are black, but there is definitely a um, caste system based on the proximity to whiteness. So lighter skinned people get more job opportunities, very much so like the privilege that's afforded to you here. So even with things like that, you know, blackness is something that is radical and it doesn't, it shouldn't be, but it is. Um, and our liberation as well, just has to be radical too. Um, and in whatever space that is, for us, it's medical education. Um, a lot of us are going to residency soon, matches coming up. Um, a lot of us um, have more rotations to do before matches complete or having to go to residency. So we're all at different points, but you know, it's important to know that blackness is not well received everywhere, but that doesn't matter because it's all about us. Anyways, uh -huh. <laughs> I, we are the ones in charge of how we feel and how we move through the world. Um, and just knowing that that it doesn't have to be right for everybody because it's not going to be and it's not ever going to be. Um, that's fine. <laughs> that's their loss. <laughs> Sorry, can't relate. Um, do y'all have any finishing points? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess for me, um, oh, did I interrupt anyone? No, go ahead, Sam. Okay. Uh, for me, you know, despite, you know, having these um, factions st stacked against, uh, against us and like, you know, um, these things that are aerating around our head, it's still good as cliche as it sounds to still be yourself. You know, there are factions of us that are amazing, you know, that keep us going. And it's good to have a community of women who understand who you are, what you are, and what you like, and who you want to be. If you feel like you can't find that in a certain group of people, no matter who they are, move on. And just continue to just, just be yourself. I know all of this is really, really tough. But if you continue to just remember what you're in medicine for, what or whatever career field you're in, and just keep it, you know, you are the main character in your story. You know, these other factions are there to just develop you as a character. And adding on to that, like, keep looking till you find your people. Like, the people watching this podcast probably think that all of us have, like, known each other forever. Like, we have not met each other in person. Like, these are my... And, <laughs> Pen, pen pals. That's what my mother called it. Pen pals. It was like, are these, this is what we call pen pals back in Haiti, as I know about. Oh, we have Twitter now. Yeah. Like, but these are my people. Like, these are the women that I feel comfortable with. Like, they have helped me find myself and my way in med school. And you just have to find those people because you're in a, especially as a black woman like being in a field that's not made for you you have to make a way for yourself and that's what we've been doing and that's like the support that we have with each other and you just have to find those people for you absolutely yeah. and uh, yeah. you just need that validation you know like Alana said like we just we just found each other just a few months ago I think the first meeting I think Farrell Moy put us in a, a group chat I think this was what like September August September 
of last year. And, you know, I feel like this, I was in my fourth year when I, when I met these girls, you know, but I did medical school, you know, three, three and a half years without them by myself, really. And so you never know when they're going to come around, but, you know, when they do, you know, appreciate, appreciate the group that you, you do come across because we all are from different states, you know, Kika's from Canada and, but all of our experience is very similar, very much the same. Um, and so, you know, I'm grateful to, to have these women in my life and the space that we give each other is a, a safe space, no matter what it is, no matter what time it is, it can be to them the stupidest thing. And, you know, they're embraced. We love each other. And that's what unconditional love is. You know, we hold each other accountable when it's time to, and we praise each other when it's time to. So, you know, right now, if you're out there and you're a black woman or a black man listening to this and you feel alone in this um, journey, just know that you're gonna find your people, whether it's in medical school, residency, fellowship, you will find them and, you know, it'll make a world of difference. And, you know, I love you ladies and y'all stuck with me. So please don't try and leave because just letting y'all know. So. Erica's <laughs> our sap. She's our sap. Um, we get her to stop because she is so sweet and we love her and we'll never replace her. Um, I wanted to like kind of conclude this with this James Baldwin quote. And he says, the place in which I'll fit will not exist until I make it. It's mm -hmm. the quote that's in my Twitter bio. But like, I really do kind of just like operate from a space like that. Because like a lot of the, a lot of the women on this panel just now have been saying, medicine is very white male, like centric, you know? So if you see black women in your, you know, the clinic, your ER, like doing your surgery, I need y'all to know that they fought for that space. That space didn't exist. They created it, you know? And like um, Erica said, like, we, we've been doing that without any advocates, without allyship, whatever, without the BLM in your bio, like, it's cool. So, yeah, I just want everyone to know that like we really did carve out these spaces for ourselves. And I'm really happy to be amongst these women because for the longest time I was like, will I ever find black girls that I resonate with? Because we're not monolithic. We don't all we don't all get along just because we're black, you know? Right. We get along because we see things in each other that we see in ourselves. And I've always been like, will I ever find that? And you know, I, I thought med school was gonna be my opportunity to do that. I thought wrong. But, you know, I found them through Twitter. So um, yeah, Twitter's not all doxing and med Twitter drama. You can also find like like friendship and like sisters and yeah. Absolutely. I'm trying so hard not to cry. Oh, <laughs> I'm so hard though. I love you guys so much, and thank you for coming out to the panel. Um, this is uh, the end of Lay Black. These are all my references. Thank y'all for coming. Um, everyone that's in the audience, thank you so much for signing on and staying on. 
Uh, talked about Twitter. Here is uh, my laid black Twitter. Y'all can find. Oh, there it is. My account is right there in bio. So if you want to, <laughs> if you want to go follow, there it is. And of course, you're already here on YouTube, but we're on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe before you leave. Thank y'all so much for coming and y'all have a good Saturday. Love you. Thank you guys. Have a good day. <laughs> Thanks.